0: This is the great Dusty Springfield. Many people don't know this, uh, but um, Dusty Springfield um, was in a relationship with with someone. And um, they she moved in with this person in April of 1983. And seven months later, they exchanged vows at a wedding ceremony, which was not recognized under California law. Somebody that might have been in a position to change that. Had he been elected governor in the recent recall election is the sage of South Central, a man who for years has been one of the most listened to nationally syndicated radio talk show hosts in the country. A man who is, uh, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say, probably the most prominent black conservative commentator in America and uh, someone who, irrespective of of any race, is uh, one of the great uh, intellects of of the broadcast media today, it gives me a great deal of pleasure to welcome back conservative radio and TV talk show host and uh, the former candidate for governor of California, Larry Elder. Larry, uh, Merry Christmas. It's been too long. Thanks for coming on the radio with
1: me. Merry Christmas, Frank. Now, how am I supposed to live up to that? By the way, out of all the names you mentioned, you did not mention the one that I like the most, the black face of white supremacy, which is <laughs> what I was called by an L.A. Times columnist when I ran for governor. By the way, I'm now doing a TV show with Epoch Times. You can find it on Larry with Epoch, epoch.com com. Larry with Epoch.com. Uh,
0: you know, I was going to ask you about that because I caught that on television the other day, and uh, you're as energetic and spirited as ever, and, uh, and I think that's great. So um, I want to talk about. About what you're doing now and some of the issues that the country is facing now and what solutions you may have for them. But... A lot of folks, uh, especially in the New York area or in outside of California, you first popped up on their radar screen recently because of the incredible amount of attention that uh, your candidacy for governor got. Initially, you weren't even supposed to be on the ballot. You were on this radio program. You guaranteed you were being on the you're going to be on the ballot. Then everyone said, OK, the, the main Republican really running is Caitlyn Jenner. Uh, all these other Republicans are sort of just also ran. Sure enough, uh, you became the most most prominent Republican running in that race. Tell me about your experience running. How did you find the race? Are you glad you did it in spite of the result?
1: Yeah, I'm very glad that I did it. To take your last part first, um, I never thought I was going to run for anything, Frank. Like you, I'm, I'm a commentator. I'm an observer. I'm, I'm a critic. I've never, ever run for anything other than third grade class president. Uh, yes, I won that. I know, I know you're going to ask. So I'm, 50, <laughs> so I'm one out of two. And – but I was approached by a lot of people that I respect uh, who asked me to to consider doing it. And uh, I waited and waited and waited. A guy with about seven and a half weeks left. I wasn't trying to be strategic. But that was about the same time that Arnold Schwarzenegger got into the recall election back in 2003 when we recalled a, uh, a Democrat governor. So I raised $22 million in seven and a half weeks. I did 100 events. And by that, I mean either an interview on radio, print, TV, or a fundraiser or a rally. Uh, And uh, we got 150,000 individual donors. Mostly half of them were outside of California. Uh, And when the race was over – and by the way, the the Republican Party uh, did not want me. I was an insurgent candidacy. They wanted a guy named Kevin Faulkner, the two-term mayor of San Diego. Uh, And I carried San Diego County by 30 points. There are uh, 58 counties in California on the replacement side because it was a two-step deal, Frank. If the 50% plus one had voted to recall Gavin Newsom, whoever got the most votes on the replacement side would have become governor. There were 46 candidates, counting myself. I got 3.5 million votes, more than almost all the other 45 combined. I carried 57 to 58 counties, uh, and um, it was an extraordinary race. And when I finished it, I went to Key West to chill out. And the reason I gained 15 pounds is because people kept buying me dinners uh, and buying me drinks. And several people said, why don't you run for president? And the more I thought about it, the more I thought it would be easier, frankly, for me to go to, to run and win the presidency than to run and win in California, where a Republican has not won statewide since 2006. All I right. kid you not.
0: I, I want to follow up on a bunch of the things that you said there. But here in New York, we're uh, dealing with this situation involving uh, a congressman-elect to a lot of folks believe, uh, lied, not believe, but I mean, I think it's pretty much an open secret at this point that he lied to everybody about everything and he got elected. I believe this is a textbook situation for New York to Im- Im- implement some sort of recall formula, not just for George Santos, but for all politicians that sell the voters a bill of goods. Given your experience participating in a recall election up close, what do you think of the recall process? Is that something that New York should take a page from California on? I,
1: I- I think so. And it's interesting because several times when I was running, uh, I was criticized for participating because I was told the recall was undemocratic. It's in our constitution. And uh, shortly after the race, There were three members of the Board of Education in San Francisco, of all places, uh, who were recalled because they spent all their time trying to rename schools uh, and shutting down schools because of the mandate. Uh, Over 70 percent of the voters voted to recall these three left-wing members of the Board of Supervisors. And nobody editorialized that that was undemocratic, the way the L.A. Times said about the recall election of (laughs) Gavin Newsom. Right, or the San Francisco
0: DA, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's right. All of a sudden, uh, it, it's a good government, and they were afraid that Gavin Newsom was going to lose. And that's why all of a sudden they began criticizing the recall election. But it's okay to recall a uh, a soft-on-crime VA in the Bay Area, as you pointed out. Okay to recall three irresponsible school board members. That's okay. But it's not okay to recall the governor. Uh, I think it's a perfectly legitimate uh, uh, thing. There, are, I forget how many states have it. I think around 20 states or so have it. I would take a good, hard look at it. Regarding this, this guy, George Santos, I mean he lied about so many things. He <laughs> lied and said he was Jewish. Uh, said that I think he said that his grandparents were in the Holocaust. I'm not even sure that's true. Um and he lied about where he worked. Uh <laughs> and and it's interesting that the New York Times just now decided to look into this guy's background after he got elected. Why didn't they do it before?
0: Yeah, I think that's a question a lot of people are uh, are asking. Uh, last question for me on the, um, on the California situation is I, I know you're m- well aware of the criticism that was hurled your way on every level uh, during that race. And one of the things that was uh, thrown at you in the waning days of that campaign is when you were doing – Prominent national conservative radio shows and going on national media outlets and even a lot of local talk radio shows like this one in the waning days of the election. A whole bunch of people said, you see, the fact that Larry Elder's on WABC talking to Frank Moreno in New York instead of being out there in California campaigning or focusing on California media, that shows Larry Elder's not serious about running for governor. This is just a publicity stunt on his part. Uh, Let me ask you, Larry, any truth to that? Was this a publicity? he's done.
1: Of course it wasn't. I, I did it because I felt I had a moral, a patriotic, and a spiritual obligation to do it. I would rather not have done it. But so many people I respected asked me to do it. I didn't need, didn't need the money. I didn't do it for the money, obviously. I I lost a lot of money. I w- was taken off the air right away when I announced. Uh, I didn't need the same. I'm very well known here in California. I did it because I care about the state. I cared about the, the crime. I cared about the homelessness. I cared about the way Gavin Newsom ignored uh, science and shut down the state in a more draconian way than anybody else. I I mean, we were already near the bottom of the 50 states in terms of our education, uh, and these kids lost another year of in-person education, math, reading. Uh, 80% of the kids in our public schools in California, Frank, are black and brown, the kind of people that people on the left claim that they care about. And they were the ones that were that were severely harmed by this by this uh, lockdown. So that's why I ran. I ran a campaign for school choice. I ran a campaign for lower taxation. We have the highest state income tax rate of of all 50 states, 13.3 percent above a certain level. Uh, We've got a twenty four billion dollar deficit and we have a huge unfunded pension liability. I was given a uh, uh, a briefing on our budget. And after the after the briefing, I said, this isn't the budget, this is a crime scene. And uh, so that's where I did it. I tried to do something about this state. For the first time in our state's 170-year uh, history or so, people are leaving California. This never happened before. And they're taking their taxes with them. And unfortunately for me, there, many of them are taking, taking their votes with them, too. And that's one of the reasons I believe I lost.
0: You uh, had one of the most listened to nationally syndicated radio shows out there. Uh, The company that syndicated your radio show was quoted uh, some of the executives from that company after the election saying, this is great. This is probably going to lead to more and more stations wanting to carry Larry. It was a great show. It was doing very well. I would listen driving in every night on my way to work. Um, And I know you're doing great with your TV show on uh, with the Epoch Times. But why did you choose to step away uh, from nationally syndicated radio at a time when it seemed that show was really poised for even greater ratings growth and even greater
1: revenue? A couple of reasons. I had done radio for 30 years. I did TV, by the way, 10 years before I did radio. I got a great offer from Epoch Times. And they're much more flexible in terms of taking off time, because I'm wow. going to be, uh, if I decide to run, going to be going to Iowa and, and New Hampshire, already have taken time off to do that. You really can't do that with radio. These guys are being a, a lot more flexible for that. But I haven't closed the door. In the unlikely event, Frank, that I lose uh, when I run for the presidency, I I'm still have a great relationship with, with Salem. I just uh, talked with one of the executives the other day and so there's a chance I may return to radio in the event that things don't work out.
0: Okay, all right. Well, that's uh, that's, uh, uh, great to hear from those those of us that are elder radio fans. All right, let's talk about the presidential race. You used to, as the LA Times uh, pointed out during your election for governor, you used to mock the idea of running for office. Uh, People would always talk to you about running for mayor, governor, even president. You're quoted uh, in this Times article as saying, they can't pay me enough, I can't take the pay cut to go into politics, uh, or a bunch of other things that you would say about potentially running for office. Why are you considering running for president now?
1: Because I think I can bring a couple of things to the table that the other candidates can't bring. Obviously, I'll, I'll be talking about the fact that our borders are overrun, uh, the fact that uh, Title 42 might go away, uh, the fact that we've got uh, a 40-year high of, of inflation. Uh, the fact that we're no longer energy independent. Obviously, we're. I'll be talking about those kinds of things. But there are two major things, I think, Frank, I bring to the table the others don't. The first is, I think I can attack this lie that America is systemically racist, maybe with a greater credibility uh, than other people can. My father never knew his biological father, left home at the age of 13. Athens, Georgia, Jim Crow South, when Jim Crow was really Jim Crow, not Jim Eagle, as Joe Biden put it. Uh, My dad cleaned toilets, two full-time jobs cleaning toilets, joined the Marines. Uh, he ended up starting a small cafe. And when my dad died, his net worth was a little bit under a million dollars. My dad was a lifelong Republican and told me, my brothers and me, that Democrats want to give you something for nothing. When you try to get something for nothing, you almost always end up getting nothing for something. It is a lie that America is systemically racist. And Barack Obama made things worse. When he entered the White House, both blacks and whites thought race relations were going to improve. When he left, both blacks and whites thought they got... race relations got worse. Why? Every time the man had a chance to say something healing, he went the wrong way. From the Cambridge police acted stupidly to embracing Al Sharpton, uh, to saying that uh, racism is in America's DNA, to saying if I had a son, he'd look like Trayvon. Uh, to embracing Black Lives Matter, to having Eric Holder, his uh, AG, who once said that America is perniciously racist, and mentioned voter ID, which the majority of blacks won, as an example of America's pernicious racism. He made things worse, got a higher percentage of the white vote than John Kerry did four years earlier. By the way, uh, Donald Trump got a lower percentage of the white vote than Mitt Romney did four years earlier. And the city of over 100,000 that voted most for uh, Donald Trump was Abilene, Texas, Uh, He got about 85 percent of the vote. Guess which city a few months after they voted for uh, Donald Trump, voted for their first black mayor, Abilene, Texas. It (laughs) is a lie that America is systematically racist. The second thing I bring to the table, Frank, uh, is to talk about the 800 pound elephant in the room that our side uh, does not talk enough about. And that is the large number of children who enter the world without a father married to the mother, 40 percent of Of uh, all American kids entered the world without a father in the home married to the mother, 70 percent of black kids, half of all Hispanic kids, 25 percent of white kids. And I'll quote Barack Obama. He once said a kid raised without a father is five times more likely to be poor and commit crime, uh, uh, nine times more likely to drop out, and 20 times more likely to end up uh, in jail. Now, the question is, how have we gone from having 25 percent of black kids born outside of wedlock uh, in 1965 to nearly 70 percent now. And the answer is the welfare state. We've incentivized uh, women to marry the government. We've incentivized men to abandon their financial and moral responsibility. And we ought to be talking a lot more about that. Everything else we talk about, crime, dropouts, it's all related to the breakdown of the family, not having a father in the home married to the mother.
0: Where is the process of uh, where is your decision making process at this point at what's your timetable for making a decision and what are the factors going to be in whether or not you decide to run?
1: Well, I've already been to Iowa probably about four or five times and met with the current. Governor met with the former governor's name is Terry Branstad, longest-serving governor not in the history of Iowa, in the history of America. Served governor for 24 years, and I've met with him. I met with his son. Uh, he knows the state. Both both of them know the state well, and I have a good relationship with him. I'm not saying they're endorsing me, but I've got a good relationship with them. I've given a number of speeches, fundraisers, I campaigned for a guy named Zach Nunn uh, who won his congressional race in Iowa, uh, and I campaigned for some other people out there, uh, and I've been to New Hampshire. So if I decide to run, probably I'll announce sometime in late March, early April. Of and next of year? Of 2023? Yeah, mm-hmm. of, yeah, of next year. And one of the factors will be whether or not I can attract uh, a sufficient money. Uh, probably take about 3 or $4 million to run credibly uh, in Iowa. I'm going to need to raise money. I've got a pack called ElderForAmerica.com. I'm asking people to throw a little something in the tip jar and help me out. And if I can get some, some uh, major donors uh, or some small uh, Amounts to to uh, to raise that kind of money, uh, then I'm going to go for it.
0: The uh, obviously, you're more well aware than anybody that uh, the most prominent Republican presidential candidate so far, at least declared presidential candidate, is former President Donald Trump. And uh, a lot of folks that are uh, diehard uh, Trump supporters, they view uh, anybody that would even consider running against Trump, whether it's Ron DeSantis, Mike Pence, Mike Pompeo, Nikki Haley, or even Larry Elder, as being incredibly disloyal to someone that they view as a a great president. Obviously, you've got to a very unique message and a terrific message that I don't think any of the other candidates talking about running on the Republican side would be in a position to highlight. But are you opposed to Trump as the nominee? If he emerges as the Republican nominee after a primary contest, could you see yourself supporting him or uh, are you firmly in that Trump alternative camp?
1: Oh, no. I could see myself supporting him. I thought he was a great president. I campaigned for him and with him when he ran in 2016. And when I ran out here for for governor, there were, uh, as you pointed out, Caitlyn Jenner, uh, the former mayor of San Diego, another guy named uh, Kevin Kiley uh, that the state party wanted, uh, the former uh, uh, candidate for governor, the one that Gavin Newsom defeated, his name was John Cox. He ran in the recall. A guy named Doug Osey, who was a former uh, uh, member of the House, he ran also in the recall. I didn't say one negative thing about any of my Republican rivals. Uh, They did not return the favor, but I didn't say one negative thing about any of my Republican rivals. And I don't intend to do that here. I think Donald Trump was an extraordinarily effective president, Uh, and I have no issue whatsoever with him uh, becoming the the nominee again. I'm just going to talk about the kind of things that I mentioned. Again, most notably the lie that America is systemically racist and the fact that we need to begin embracing fathers uh, and, and that's we have a fatherlessness crisis in America and we need to talk more about that
0: If people just tuning in we're talking with Larry Elder you could uh, catch him on TV regularly with this TV program that he does with the Epoch Times or you could check out his uh, political action committee by going to elderforamerica.com if you want to learn more about what he's up to and if you want to offer a contribution as he goes through this process of considering a presidential run. Larry uh, again not to sound the same Same question that I asked you about the governor's race, but there are some people that are already raising the prospect that this is a publicity stunt. They look at other uh, people that have run for president who were perceived as uh, not necessarily having a great shot at winning, but ended up getting a national TV platform. Folks like Al Sharpton or Andrew Yang or Alan Keyes, Mike Huckabee. Is this, would this be, in addition to being a forum for talking about ideas, would this be a publicity
1: stunt? Well, once again, no. I mean, look, look at Donald Trump. When Donald Trump first announced, virtually nobody thought he had a shot. This guy uh, hadn't even held office, had never been a general, never worked in government, never even ran before. I at least ran uh, for sure. the fourth, fourth uh, biggest economy uh, in the in the country. Uh, Jimmy Carter came came out of nowhere. Nobody gave Joe Biden a chance. This is his third time. Uh, and it looked like he was not going not to make it. So the idea that uh, I've got no shot and this is all publicity stunt, uh, again, I, I already have a national uh, platform. I already have a big social media footprint. I already had a nationally syndicated show with 1.5 million or so people listening to me every day. Uh, I'm, I'm already there. I'm doing this because I give a damn about America. I think America is worth saving. And I think that we're in trouble with its wokeism, uh, with the infusion of all these left-wing people coming out of universities. They couldn't get jobs in universities, and now they go and work with places places like Twitter and Facebook uh, and YouTube and Google and are undermining the foundation of this country. And we're at each other's throats unnecessarily. So I want to do something about that.
0: It, about I know until about 20 years ago or so, you were actually a registered libertarian and you identified as a as a libertarian. Is there any scenario in which you could see if you don't get the Republican nomination in 2024 that you might run for president as a libertarian or a third party candidate?
1: Well, correction, I've never been a registered libertarian. I am a small-L libertarian uh, and a registered Republican, just like Milton Friedman. And no, I would never run as a libertarian. Uh, all all they, all they do is siphon away votes uh, that otherwise would go to the Republican party. There are several races around this country where if the libertarian hadn't gotten the 3 or 4 or 5% that they often get, we'd have a uh, we'd have control of the Senate. So no, I would never ever consider doing that. But I'm not a registered I'm not a capital L libertarian. Never have been.
0: Is it safe to say that you are a vote against reparations both in California and in other states that might be exploring it?
1: Reparations is the extraction of money from people who are never slave owners to be given to people who are never slaves. The whole thing is absolutely absurd. Uh, it happened slavery happened so long ago. Figuring out who, what, where, when, and why, and and only about according to Michael Medved, my former colleague at Salem, only about five percent of white people have any sort of generational connection to slavery. Uh, it's it's absurd. And are we going to go back to Africa and get money from them? Because without the complicity of African chieftains, uh, the African and the Arab African slave trade, never could have taken place. You know that movie that's out right now called The Warrior King or Warrior Woman. Sure, I haven't uh, seen it, but the, I've, the, I've the heard woman, of it. Yeah. The, the woman, the woman king. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the 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 bad guys are the white slavers. When in reality, the the homie uh, group of women, and they did exist were were trading partners with the white uh, slavers because they would raid uh, neighbouring villages, capture the, uh, the, the, the 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 people, sell them off uh, to the uh, European slavers. Uh, And we're supposed to forget all about that. So if America were to were to uh, pay reparations, do we then go to Africa and to the Middle East and and get the money back from those guys?
0: (laughs) That's a great question. Uh, Could be a way to fund the campaign. Who knows? Uh, (laughs) Give me your thoughts on the Supreme Court decision on Title 42 yesterday. It looks like uh, Title 42 will remain in place until at least February, until the court can make a, uh, a broader decision on the Biden administration's plan to do away with Title 42?
1: Well, it's common sense, and I'm happy you pointed out it was the Biden administration that initiated the lawsuit to overturn uh, the implication of, of Title 42, just as they uh, pulled back from other Trump policies, including the remaining Mexico policy, and we have this disaster on the border. By the way, most people are unaware we have a disaster on the border. I just saw a poll that found out the average American believes that Uh, that 250,000 illegal aliens came into the country last year. They're off by a factor of 10. That's because I watch Fox News, I watch Bill Malugin uh, do his report, and I cut over to CNN or to MSNB, which is what I call it, to see if they're covering it. They're not even covering it. So half the country is completely oblivious to the fact that we've got a real crisis. Mm-hmm. There are 5 million people in this country illegally that Joe Biden has taken over. And you know the consequences. we got the fentanyl. You have the crime. Uh, you have the cost of housing, the cost of educating, the cost of, 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 of health care. Uh, it's outrageous what's going on on the borders. And it's and I think the reason people are not marching on Washington, D.C., Frank, with pitchforks is because they just don't know what's going on. If you learn anything from the Twitter file stuff. We know that a lot of Americans never get the information. They're unaware of things that uh, people on the right talk about. They were unaware of the Hunter Biden laptop story. They're completely unaware of how many people have entered this country illegally and and uh, and the negative consequences about that. One of
0: the uh, one of the people that dissented in the Supreme Court case on Title Forty Two, their decision was uh, Justice Gorsuch, who politically and legally generally is a conservative. Generally ends up on the conservative line of. Uh, the side of the ledger he said in his dissent we are a court of law not policymakers of last resort it sounded to me like he was saying while he doesn't necessarily agree with this as a policy he doesn't think it's the role of the Supreme Court to nullify the elected branches of the government what did you say to that argument I know you're an attorney as well
1: well I just I just disagree with it Um, you know, the, the, the Title 42 is their design because of a health emergency. Now, the Biden administration still tells us that uh, we have a crisis because of COVID. On the other hand, uh, they don't want to implement Title 42 to, to make sure that the people who come in this country uh, are not bringing in, uh, in, in, in diseases, not, not bringing in uh, uh, more COVID. I, I don't I don't get it. I, I just think that. Uh, it's common sense. We have borders. One of the things that uh, that uh, is in the Constitution uh, is the federal government's job is to, uh, is to police our borders, and, and we're just not doing it.
0: Larry Elder, check him out at uh, larryelder.com or elderforamerica.com. Larry, something tells me we're going to be speaking quite a bit over the course of the next year and a half. I appreciate you taking the time. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year.
1: Same to you, Frank. Appreciate it.
0: Thank you. If you want to comment... On any portion of my discussion with Larry Elder, you're welcome to do so. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Or anything else that we have covered thus far this morning. Or anything else that you want to comment on. or Anything you might have questions about. So uh, since we're not doing Ask Frank Anything um, today or you know, this week, we're going to be a little m- more liberal in terms of allowing off-topic Callers to get in. So anything that's on your mind or anything you have questions about, now's the time. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty-two. This is the other side of midnight. Straight ahead. The other side of midnight. midnight.